0: physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health. Through expert interviews, I hope to both inspire and enable you to create sustained change in your own life. Thank you so much for tuning in, and enjoy! Well hello everyone and welcome back to the Crescent Podcast. I have to apologize for not releasing this episode last Friday as I had originally intended. For any who follow me on social media you will have known that I got severely ill on Friday with what I thought might potentially be COVID and I've really just spent the last week trying to recover, regain my strength, and get over some of the last few lingering symptoms, but for any interested in that journey, I did write up a full blog post on it because so many on social media were asking me what I did to really get over the bulk of my very severe symptoms in about 24 hours, and there were some really specific things I did that I feel truly turned it around and honestly saved me from hospitalization. So I will link that in the show notes so you guys can check it out if you're interested. But today we have Karen Hurd back on the podcast and we actually had her on way back in March to do the episode on coronavirus where she gave us All of these amazing tips and tricks that we can do at home should we begin to get ill or even if we just want to prevent getting sick. And I do have to say, I followed every single thing she mentioned in that podcast just this last Friday when I got so, so sick. And again, I think they played a huge impact on my recovery. So I will also link that in the show notes. But today with Karen, we are talking all about acidity. And I know that sounds like kind of a broad topic, but I have actually been learning about acidity and how it potentially relates to cancer along my journey. And so I wanted to get her take on acidity. And so this is for me was an incredibly fascinating episode. I have to warn you, it gets a little bit sciency because she is just an incredible biochemist who truly, truly knows her stuff. And so bear with us as um, she gets very sciencey on us and shares the root of things in a very scientific way. Um, but I promise you, I it makes a lot of sense the way she presents it. And we touch on some really key things about how a lot of what we think and are told about acidity in the body is not necessarily true. We also talk about how the keto diet long term can actually be very harmful for the body and she breaks down exactly why that is and what it's doing to some of our different organs and hormone production. And then how acidity in the gut can actually lead to a lot of different gastrointestinal issues and then how we can resolve those issues very, very easily just by adding one thing to our diet. So. You will have to listen to the full episode to find out what it is. I wanted to also real quickly check in and see how many of you guys are listening to the magnetic moments that come at the end of the podcast. And the reason I'm asking is because I want to know, is this something that you find helpful? Is it something that you wish was at the beginning of the episode because at the end you just, you don't even get to it, you don't listen to it? Um, Or is it something that we can just kind of stop doing altogether? I want to know so that I can make sure I'm including content and things in these podcast episodes that you find really valuable. So if the magnetic moments at the end of each episode aren't that valuable to you, let me know. I will not be offended at all. I just want to get your general feel, your comments on it. So please, please, please send me a message on social media or on my website. I'll leave links to those below so that you can let me know your take on it, whatever it is. I wanted to include those magnetic moments, basically the challenge for the week to help everybody integrate what they're learning into their lives, even if it's just in a small way. So the purpose of the magnetic moments is to really start to create change in your life, but to make it feel very manageable and not overwhelming. But again, maybe this isn't the right place to do that. Or maybe I need to start putting those at the start of the episodes. I'm not sure. I'm trying to get a better feel for it, but I need your guys's feedback to figure that out a little better. So definitely let me know. And of course, if you guys are loving this podcast, these interviews, please leave me a review and consider subscribing on whatever podcast app you listen to. This just helps me show up in more searches related to holistic and alternative health and helps more people like you find the show. So thank you so much for tuning in every week with me. And without further ado, here is my interview with Karen. Well, Karen Hurd, welcome back to the Crescent Podcast. I have to say, we had Karen on in March to do a really, really informative episode on coronavirus and ways, easy, simple ways we can protect ourselves. And I have to say, Karen, that was by far the most popular episode I've ever done. Mm. So thank you so much. And thank you for coming back.
1: You're welcome. I'm very pleased to be here.
0: So today we're diving into a topic. And as I said before, The topic of acidity, something that I'm just diving into and starting to learn more about. And so when I went on your site and I saw that acidity is actually one of sort of the key things that you address and can talk on, I was like, okay, I've got to have her on right off the bat in my own learning Mm -hmm. journey on this to start diving in more. So walk us through, where do we even begin with this? What does it mean to be acidic and why is it an issue?
1: I'm trying to think about if I just need to put it out as an introduction and then back it up, I probably do. We have made a big deal out of acidity, and it is not a big deal at all. We, we're looking for ways to explain disease and, and causes of disease. And so oftentimes we're going to put it, uh, make a scapegoat and acidity has become a scapegoat for that. Now there's a difference, you know, you asked me in your questions, you know, about the difference, the difference between acidity being acidic and acidosis. Those are completely different things and I'll discuss that later. But first of all, we have to understand acidity. In chemistry, we have bases and we have acids. Bases and acids are opposite one another. Bases have more hydroxyl particles. Those are oxygens and hydrogens. It's one atom of oxygen and one atom of hydrogen. And that's what makes a base an alkaline and makes it the opposite of an acid. An acid has more hydrogen ions. An ion, a hydrogen is an atom and we call it a a hydrogen atom. We call it an ion because it comes with a positive charge. In chemistry, each atom has a charge. It can be positive or negative and in the hydrogen atom has a positive one charge. All acids are High in hydrogens, they have these positive electrical charges, and the and this this these electrons that surround the nucleus of the atom. And then you have the OH particle, which we call a hydroxyl, and that has a negative charge. So if you have negative and positive together, they can cancel each other's out. Or if you have more of one or more of the other than your alkaline or your acid. And so. What we have to understand, what is acidity? It's measured by something that we call pH. pH is the negative logarithm of hydrogen ion concentration. Now, I'm going to say that again because that is a mouthful, but that's what pH is. pH is a measurement of the negative logarithm of hydrogen ion concentration. So, if you have a lot of hydrogen ions, which are these positively charged hydrogen atoms, then you're going to have, because it's a negative logarithm, if you have a lot of hydrogen ion concentration, you're going to have a lower number because it's the negative logarithm. Mm-hmm. So, if you have something that we say, oh, you have a pH of 6, that means you're on the acidic side because a pH of 7 is neutral. It's just, we got the same amount of hydrogens as hydroxyl particles. We are neutral. And so if you're below seven, your acid, if you're above seven, you, attend, you tend to be on the base side or alkaline and base are the same thing. And so now with that understanding, we have to go forward. Okay. So this is, this is chemistry. So whenever a chemical reaction, let's co- take it into the human body now. Okay, so all that was just basic, okay, now we understand what acidities are and what pH is. When you go inside the human body, there are trillions and trillions of chemical reactions that are happening by the second. I mean, it's so fast and so many reactions. A chemical reaction is dependent upon many things. And one of the major things that enable a chemical reaction to happen or prevent it from happening, is pH. If you do not have the correct pH in the human body, there will be no chemical reactions to take place. If there are no chemical reactions that take place, you will die. How fast? Oh, very fast. I mean, like right away, you're gone. <laughs> so the body has to maintain a certain pH, and that pH is 7.4, period. It's 7.4. For you, for me, for everybody in the whole world that is a human being, the body pH is 7.4. At a body pH of 7.4, chemical reactions will go forward and we can live and breathe and make hormones and do all the stuff that we do because all of those things are dictated by chemical reactions happening by the trillions very quickly. Okay, so the body has to maintain a 7.4 pH for chemical reactions to happen. What if the pH in the body? Now, we're talking about bloodstream right now. This is bloodstream pH. Okay. What happens if we got a little bit too acidic or we got a little bit too alkaline? You will die immediately. You will die immediately. Hmm. So when we talk about, you know, this whole acid thing, it's like, okay, you know, if your body is too acidic and by body... I'm going to get into a little bit more specific in just a minute about what do we mean by body, but I mean specific about bloodstream right now. If your bloodstream is too acidic or too alkaline, you die. And so, therefore, your body has put into place a buffering system. Buffering means that it will convert anything that is an acid or an alkaline to a 7.4 pH. We must have 7.4 four, period, if we are to survive. So whatever comes, whatever you eat, it doesn't matter if you have lemon juice, which is a weak acid, or you have baking soda, which is a strong base, or whatever you're eating, it doesn't matter. Whatever enters into the bloodstream will immediately be buffered. And this is mostly done by the kidneys. And mm-hmm. we will add or subtract hydroxyl particles. That's that OH, molecule, the oxygen and the hydrogen, one of each, that has a negative charge. And either we will add hydroxyl onto an acid and make it less acid and turn it into a neutral pH of, in our body, which needs to be 7.4, or we will strip off some hydroxyl particles and then it makes it the neutral or the 7.4 is what our body requires to pH. This is the buffering system. It always works for us. It never changes. It will always be there for you. Because if it doesn't work, it's not like, oh, you'll die in three weeks from now. No, this is an emergency situation. It's it's over. Because no chemical reactions are taking place. Hmm. So that's why the body is always changing whatever you eat, drink, breathe in, the air you breathe in. It's changing it to get to this 7.4. And I want to explain okay. a little bit more about what happens in, outside of the bloodstream, but that's the basic premise. Now, I can pause here okay. and let you ask me any questions, or I can go on.
0: Yeah, well, so I am curious. Now, you're saying the kidneys buffer everything. So what I'm wondering, the first question that comes to mind is, you know, can we overwhelm our kidneys? Is there any negative effect to the kidneys if we're eating too much acid? acidic you know, foods and drinks or even too much alkaline foods and drinks or no, it, you know, it has a really good system.
1: You can't do it by what you're eating. And now there are conditions where like diabetic now, now we're getting into acidosis. Okay. Okay. Acidosis means that you have become so acidic. This is a critical situation. It is a fatal situation. How do we get there? You have to basically be diabetic and specifically a type one diabetic. You don't make enough insulin. If you don't make enough insulin, then you can't take the sugars that you're consuming from carbohydrates that are in your bloodstream. And they have to get into, they have to cross through the cellular membrane and enter the cytosol of your cell. And there they're burned in the mitochondria and give the cell the energy it needs. If you don't have insulin, there's no way to get the sugar out of the bloodstream and into the cell because it has to pass through a doorway, so to speak, a receptor site. And insulin is the only thing that triggers the receptor site. So you'll have all the sugar in your bloodstream without enough insulin. But you can't burn the sugar because the insulin is what's opening the door to get the sugar burned. So it's not working. So that means that you, ha- you have to have some type of fuel to burn. The body burns basically sugar, blood glucose for fuel. Now that's not a reason to eat sugar. We can get into that later. But we use carbohydrates. We have to have blood glucose to live. If we don't have blood glucose, we're not going to live. So as an in-between, we can use fats. We can oxidize a fat and use that as an alternative energy source for a short amount of time. Because if you do it for too long you're in the state of acidosis, ketoacidosis. Because whenever you burn a fat as a fuel, you release tons of hydrogen ions. Remember pH is the negative logarithm of hydrogen ion concentration. If you start to liberate hydrogen ions, then you are going to change the acidity in your bloodstream and make it make the pH lower, which means you become more acidic. This is a fatal condition. It is something that diabetics have to watch for all the time because it will take their life less than overnight. I mean, it's, it's, it's a goner. So situations like that will put you into acidosis. Or what if your kidneys fail? What if you have a kidney disease? What if you have stage five kidney disease that means that you're not able to filter. Your kidneys are not filtering your blood. And so then you can have acidosis. Or alcohol can create the same thing because you can, that can, alcohol, alcohol actually is, is an OH particle. But when it goes into bloodstream, it occurs in sense, It's what's known as a triacylglycerol. Well, a triacylglycerol is a hydrogen, it's hydrogen dense. Uh, it's a fat. And I want to stop here and explain fat so you understand why the, these keto diets, you hear about them all the time. Keto diets, you know, we're going to eat high fat, low carb, you know, or high protein, high fat, low carb. It's just like, do you understand the damage you're doing to your kidney as well as your liver? I haven't even begun on that yet. And so well, th- the problem is, is that you create this keto, these they are called ketones because fats are carbon, a long carbon, carbon chain carbons are atoms and they're connected to another carbon, another carbon, another carbon, and it depends on how many carbons in the chain, if they're long chain, medium chain, or long chain fatty acids. And to each carbon, a carbon has to bind to four other atoms. See, in, in, in chemistry, an atom can has to bind with a certain number of other things. In carbon's case, this atom has to. not It's an option, maybe, and the best. You no, know, it's just like math. Two plus two is four. It's always four. Two plus two is always four. In chemistry, a, a carbon atom is going to bind with four things. So now a carbon atom, let's look at this long chain of a fat. It's bound on the left and the right, if you will. And, and we have different formations. They're <laughs> called tetrahedrals and all that. anyway, But they, I mean, it's not just a linear, but it's easier to think of it linear right now instead of three-dimensional. So you have a carbon on the left and a carbon on the right. And here's some carbon. I'm the carbon in the middle. So I'm holding hands on my left and the right with two carbons. That's good, but I need to have two more. I got to have two more bonds. What am I going to bond with? Hydrogens. <laughs> you bond with hydrogens. And so the top and the bottom, if you will, you're bound to a hydrogen. And that's in a saturated fat. That's in a saturated fat. A saturated fat means the fat has as many hydrogens on the carbon chain as there's possible to have. Because what I haven't told you is that carbons can do double bonds. A carbon can actually hold two hands to the carbon next to it. It's called a double or a pi bond. P-I is in in the the Greek alphabet. So it has a pi bond and double carbon there. And so then it's such a beautiful fat. Those are called unsaturated fats. (laughs) What makes an unsaturated fat? It's not saturated with hydrogen ions. It's less acidic. Remember, the more hydrogen Mm -hmm. ions, the more acidic something is. And so if you have less hydrogen ions, you have an unsaturated fat. And so that unsaturated fat is a really cool thing because it's got this double bond, that pi bond there. And so you could bring in a functional group. And if you have an electron well, that's a source of energy. In chemistry, if you're going to break a bond, you have to put energy in to break the bond. And so if you have a little source of energy, like an electron well, that means uh, an ion, another ion that's got a free floating, you know, uh, electron that it can donate, which is a negative charge. Then it can break that pi bond. And then you can bring in a functional group, which is like another molecule. And we make something out of it. We make a hormone out of it. We can make so many cool things out of fat, but you can only make them out of an unsaturated fat. If you have a saturated fat, oh, saturated fats are... or stable molecules they don't like to play they don't like to enter into chemical reactions the only thing they'll do is oxidize and when you oxidize a fat you release hydrogen ions which changes the acidity and puts people who are on these keto diets or like diabetics you put them in danger in danger because you have so many ketones So it's a the side product of all these hydrogens being released when you burn a fat so
0: okay so So, and it's the, the saturated fats that release the most hydrogen because they have so many of those hydrogen bonds on them. Is that correct?
1: That's correct.
0: Okay. And I guess, I think what you're saying is so many people who are doing keto diets, they're just, they're just eating a lot of fat. They're not really paying attention to what kind of fat they're eating, which is then really, really taxing their kidneys. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, it taxes the kidneys because the kidneys are responsible for, for, for getting rid of these ketones, but it, it also does some other things too. Um, oh man, does it cause a lot of problems. It's not just the fats. See, if you're not getting enough carbohydrates and your blood sugar is not where it should be, not only do we start to burn fat as a fuel and we have the side effect of producing ketones, but we also go through what's called the deaminization process. If you don't have enough sugar in your bloodstream, you have to have sugar. You just have to, especially your brain, to be able to send all the little electrical signals back and forth from one neuron brain cell to another neuron. This is going to call for a blood glucose reaction to be able to make this happen. If you don't have that, then your body will actually create glucose. We can create sugar. We can make blood sugar. The liver does that. Not the kidney, but the liver. So the liver, when you don't have a blood glucose level where it should be, then the liver is going to get to signal that it has to go through a process called gluconeogenesis. Gluco means sugar, neo means new, genesis means creation. So we will go through a process called gluconeogenesis and we will create blood glucose so that you can stay alive. Because if you don't, you actually die of something called insulin shock because you have so much insulin because people are on this diet, they're, they're not diabetic a lot of, most of them actually, but you're still producing your normal amounts of insulin, but you don't have the blood glucose levels and your body's going to reduce that because you don't have the blood glucose levels, but you still have insulin circulating and then you have too much insulin. And then we put ourselves into this state. And so your body is going to do all that it can to produce glucose and it can, the liver will produce it. How do you make glucose? I mean, if you're not eating any carbohydrate, do we have some carbohydrate stores in the human body anywhere? Nope. We don't, we have fat stores. We can break down protein. Our muscle is made out of protein. And we've already talked about fats. That's what we burn first. That's why the keto diets work. I'm not saying that you don't lose weight on keto diets. Of course you do. But you do it at the expense of your health at a great expense Mm. to your health. So we're burning fats, but we're also going to have to, we can't just burn fats alone. We still have to burn blood glucose, but you don't have any because you're not eating any. So, and you get them from carbohydrates, just eating your vegetables and legumes, you get carbohydrates. And so we don't, we don't eat them. And so we force the gluconeogenesis process. And into doing that, you have to produce adrenaline because adrenaline, to, to make these chemical reactions happen, you have to have a trigger. You have to have, you know, I'm giving you instructions that you need to go into gluconeogenesis, Mr. Liver. Mm -hmm. And so the hormone that does that is your fight and flight hormone. Hormones, Mm -hmm. actually, they're called epinephrine and norepinephrine. We call them collectively adrenaline. So you'll have an adrenaline release to be able to start the gluconeogenesis process and keep that going on. And I'm going to tell you how that adds to the hydrogen in just a moment. But I want you to, to understand that when you call on the adrenals over and over and over continue this gluconeogenesis process, that's why people on a keto diet, I just feel so energetic and so great and so sharp-minded. Yeah, you're running on adrenaline. Have a pot of coffee. It'll do the same thing. You
0: know, smoke a cigarette. It'll do the same thing. And it's just not sustainable.
1: It's not you know? sustainable. It,
0: you, you start off, and I think maybe what the... The catch is, is you do feel great. You lose a lot of weight really fast, but it just sounds like it's creating this huge downward spiral of issues to come like hormone imbalances, oh, yeah. you know, adrenal burnout, which then can lead to thyroid issues as wow.
1: Okay. Oh, it, it just, it gets, oh, I, I have only touched on the tip of the iceberg about how awful <laughs> it gets. I mean, I haven't even told you what it does to the kidneys when you, because when you go through making a protein, because that's what, to make the gluconeo, to make the sugar, we make it out of protein. So you'll actually start to break down your muscle tissue, but muscle has an additional atom on it called nitrogen. And we have to strip that nitrogen off. If you strip the nitrogen off, of the protein. Now we have created a carbohydrate, which we can use in the gluconeogenesis process array. It works. But what happens Mm -hmm. to this little free floating nitrogen in the bloodstream? I'm telling you, nitrogen has to have a certain number of bonds. It doesn't just stay a nitrogen atom all by itself. It's got to bind. What does it bind with? Hydrogens. Hydrogens. And so you create the typical, and when you're in gluconeogenesis and you're breaking protein down to make your glucose on these keto diets, because you're doing that on the keto diet too, you create NH3. N is for nitrogen, H is for hydrogen, so you have one atom of nitrogen and three atoms of hydrogen. What is NH3? It's ammonia. You just create, oh, wow. for every time you create a molecule of sugar, you just created a molecule of ammonia. Well, what does ammonia do in the bloodstream? Kill you? Don't ever drink ammonia. people, don't drink ammonia. You'll die. So now we have ammonia, which is a water-soluble, toxic waste. Who's responsible for clearing that? The kidneys. Kidneys clear all water-soluble waste. So the kidneys immediately, because they're in charge of the buffering system, have to slam a hydroxyl particle to to neutralize this horrible ammonia atom, or actually it's a molecule. And then we have created something called urea. And then the kidneys have to excrete the urea. And so you put a stress on the kidneys and we develop these horrible kidney stones. People who are on these diets typically get kidney stones. It's just so common. You get kidney stones. And by the way, I can tell you how to dissolve a kidney stone because I'm teaching you about acid base. I would love to teach you about this, too, because you need to understand conjugates. I mean, this is such a a, a fabulous subject. But as far as, you know, you're going to eat a certain food. I mean, getting back to the basics again, right where we started. If you're going to say, I'm going to have lemon juice, but that's going to make you acidic. No, it's not. You're going to stay at a 7.4 pH you'll always be the 7.4 pH. If you are not, you're already in the grave. So Mm, to say, well, you know, there, there's these little levels. If it was changed just a little bit, if you were 7.35 or 7.41 or something like that. No, no. I'm telling you, your body's keeping you right there. We're going to stay right there. And only if you have these horrible health conditions, like you're a type one diabetic or your kidneys have failed or you're a if you're a horrible alcoholic, you know, I mean, then we know that you're destroying your body. And then, yeah, but those are, those are the severe cases. The acid, the whole acid issue nowadays is that, that has come into our natural health realm is that, you know, if you're a little bit too acid, then, you know, you can, you will, you will be more susceptible to disease and cancer and all that. I'm sorry, that's just not true. It's just not true. Mm. Now, if you have cancer and you've been on chemotherapy and your lungs are closing down because of the cancerous lesions in your lungs, or your liver, or your kidneys attacked by cancer, yeah, you could say, "Well, cancer and, and acidosis go together." Well, yeah, because your kidneys are failing, your lungs are failing. Lungs are involved in some of this too, because CO two is carbon dioxide, and that we have to ex- exhale that and breathe in oxygen, so there can be some acid coming in there. But um, it's this it, not a problem now can we change the ph in our body fluids oh you bet
0: so that was going to be yes. my next question because because people you know people do i think like the the tongue strips or the urine strips and they test their ph every day to try and track where they're going but explain that to me is that's not really what your ph is
1: no that's not what your ph is at all because if it was if, if you tested your urine or you tested your, your tongue and you're at a six point something, if that was in your bloodstream, you would have died a long time ago. You're just testing your mouth acidity, the saliva, or you're testing your urine acidity or, you know, your gut acidity. I, I need to explain to you, we do have to have acidity in the gut, which means your saliva will also be acidic. You have in your stomach a one molar solution of hydrochloric acid. Hydrochloric acid is the strongest acid that we have. We only have a few strong acids in the world of chemistry. Hydrochloric acid is one of them. Now, it's only a one molar solution. A one molar solution in chem lab, we can wash our hands in a one molar solution of hydrochloric acid and it doesn't burn the skin off. But if it was a six molar solution, ah, oh, yeah, it just burns the skin right down to the bones. It just, whoop, strip it off. It's that acidic. But we have to have acids because those acids are what are enabling us to digest the foods that we eat. We have to have a way to break foods down into little teeny tiny molecules that can cross these hair-like projections on the inside of our intestinal tract called villi so that they can enter the bloodstream and nourish us. If you swallow a penny, you know that penny is going to come out in your stool as a penny. It never got digested because hydrochloric acid and all our digestive enzymes that our gut makes can't digest a penny. But a food, you know, that's a coin. I mean, a penny is in the, in the coin. And so, but a food, we have to have a way to break it down. So we have to have an acidic gut. What if the gut got too acidic? And that happens. I'm dealing with that all the time with, with the, the, my clients is that if we get too much acidity, then that can cause irritation in your gut. It can actually burn a little hole. We call that an ulcer. It's just an ulcer. It's just a sore. And it can cause such irritation. You can feel nauseous. You can have, um, you can develop Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, diverticulitis, because then that two acid environment weakens the intestinal wall and it can pooch out and then things get trapped in that little pouch and then it can grow bacteria and then you get an infection. And I mean, and that's all because we have too much acid in the gut we need acid in the gut it's not a 7.4 never is our gut acids you know 7.4 that's just too high we have to have some acidity but what if we got too much acidity so how does that happen ah yeah Yeah. i mean i can explain that to you too i mean it's okay we make a digestive fluid called bile bile is made in the liver bile is a fat It's a long carbon chain with all those hydrogens attached. And as your bile is, your bile is made. And then it's also because it's a fat, it can be a carrier to fat soluble waste. Your liver is responsible for clearing fat soluble waste. All fat soluble waste is high in hydrogens. Whenever you hear the word fat, think acid. It's an acid. It's acid. All Mm -hmm. fats are acids. That's why we call them fatty acids. You probably have heard the term before. And so, We put all of this bile, and then we pack in all of our acidic waste products, our fatty acid waste products, which a lot of it is our own hormones, our hormones are made out of fats, into the bile fluids, and they go down into the gastrointestinal tract. This is not normally a problem. I mean, this is normal human physiology. And so they go into the gastrointestinal tract, and there, the bile, has got two functions. One, it's a trash truck for the liver, getting rid of all your fat-soluble waste. And if it didn't, by the way, you would die in 24 hours. Fat-soluble waste will kill you in 24 hours flat. So we have to get rid of it. So we put it in the bile and we send it down to the gastrointestinal tract. And so then the goal is to put all of this waste into the toilet in the form of a bowel movement and say, well, why can't we just urinate it out? It's because the kidneys only deal with water-soluble waste. Fats and waters, they're immiscible. They, they don't mix. They don't like each other. They don't have anything. They run away from each other. They're afraid of each other. They have no chemical interactions whatsoever. So you have to have different organ systems to deal with fats than you do with water-soluble waste. So our fat-soluble waste, which is more deadly than our water-soluble waste, water-soluble waste, if, if your kidneys failed you utterly, totally, without you being in acidosis, I mean, they just quit working today, you would have about two weeks before you die in your own sewage that you're not able to clean out. If your liver fails you, you will die in 24 hours because that fat-soluble waste recycles, recycles in your bloodstream and then it kills you. It's just too, it's that toxic. Most of our cancerous waste, by the way, is fat-soluble. Mm. So, in the the liver, we clear out all this waste. We de- make bile. We deposit in the bile. We send it down biliary ducts, which are tubes that lead into your gastrointestinal tract. And there, we're getting rid of the waste. And two, the bile is what digests the fatty acids that you eat. We eat foods. I mean olives and avocados. These are very good foods for you. Olives and avocados, nuts, you know, whether it's almonds or walnuts or whatever you're, you're using canola oil. Canola oil is not a bad oil. A lot of people are in that canola oil. I hate canola oil bandwagon. They don't understand what canola oil is. It's a wonderful omega-6 fatty acid. Anyway, so you're eating these good fats. Well, they're all in long chains. The normal fat is 18 carbons long. We don't want to absorb 18 carbons into the bloodstream. We, we got to break them down in little smaller chunks, please, because it's just we can. But when you get into the bloodstream, we, we want to make sure that they have those pi bonds. If they don't have a pi bond, then they will oxidize. And if you oxidize a fat in the bloodstream, then you cause atherosclerosis, which is this buildup of fatty plaque on the heart arteries or the carotid arteries in your neck. You cause all kinds of health problems because when you oxidize a fat, what are you releasing? hydrogen ions, and then we have to go through the whole, you know, balance of the 7.4 pH. It just creates so many health problems. So anyway, you eat good fats. We still have to break them down. Who does that? Bile. It's not, we do make lipase. We have a couple of pancreatic enzymes that help with the digestion of fats, but the vast majority of fat digestion is done through this digestive fluid bile because fats digest fats. So, Breaks down all these bonds between the fatty acids and the bile travels through the gastrointestinal tract through the duodenum. It's all deposited in your duodenum, which is the first part of your small colon, into your jejunum, and then finally into your what's called the ileum. Now, we have to know something really important here about the ileum. And the last part of the ileum, called the terminal part of the ileum, there's a process there, a natural process that happens, and that process is we absorb all fatty acids at the terminal part of the ileum. Does that mean we absorb, I'm saying all, it's actually 95%. We'll absorb absorb 95% of the fatty acids that are there. Bile is a fatty acid. It's carrying fatty acid toxic waste. Do we absorb 95% of our own biofluids that were sent down there to get rid of this waste and to digest the fats? Do we absorb those? Absolutely we do. Ninety-five percent will recycle into the bloodstream, and ninety-five percent of your toxic waste will be redeposited into your bloodstream. Then your liver has to quickly filter all that out again, and in the meantime, you have more toxic waste because I told you before that that the main thing that we're clearing, the liver is clearing, is your own hormonal products. If you don't have hormones, you don't have hormones are catalyzing all chemical reactions, not all, but almost all, you can almost say all, it's almost every chemical reaction is going to have to be catalyzed. that I means made to go forward with a, with a, a hormone. So if you have an overabundance of hormones, you get all kinds of problems, PMS, PCOS, infertility, it just the list goes on and on and on, arthritis, and just gobs of problems. So besides anxiety and depression and all of that, because these are also neurotransmitters. And so you are pulling out these hormones. And then this all got deposited into the bile. Now it's out of the bloodstream. Gone. We're so glad. But 95% came back. And while this stuff was down in the gastrointestinal tract, did you stop making hormones? No, you made new hormones. You're supposed to. So when this recycled 95% comes back, it has to be pulled out of the bloodstream before it kills you. And then we have to also remove the waste products from the new hormones you made. So now you have bile that is more concentrated in what? Hydrogen ions. So every time you have bile recycle, and it depends on the person, but the average is 20 to 72 times a day we're recycling our bile at 95%, you are adding to the hydrogen ion concentration in the biofluids, which is outside of the bloodstream. Your bloodstream is still 7.4. It's not going to change. I'm telling you, it's not going to change. But now in your biofluids that are in your liver and being secreted into your gastrointestinal tract, that is outside of your bloodstream. That's in a different system of tubes, if you will. Then you're increasing the hydrogen ion concentration. Well, what does that do? pH is the negative logarithm of hydrogen ion concentration. That means you lower the pH of your bile. That means your bile becomes more acidic than it should be, so then it starts to cause you to have problems with your gut. It can actually get so much hydrogen added on to this carbon chain of, the, of your bile molecule that you will change your bile from being a liquid into a solid. See, that's something, whenever you add hydrogens into anything, the more hydrogen something has, it changes the physical state. We have three physical states. We have gas, we have liquid, we have solids. Hydrogens, when you're talking about fats, whenever you add hydrogens to something, you change the physical state, first from a gas to a liquid. Now, we're dealing with bile right now. Bile is a liquid. So what happens if we continue to increase the amount of hydrogens that are in the bile because it recycles, it gets more and more hydrogens, then your bile will get thicker and thicker. We call it biliary sludge. Biliary comes from the word word biliary ducts. Those are these little tubes that lead down to your gut. And it gets so thick that it's really hard to push this mud-like bile through because it's getting thicker and thicker. And so that creates all this gallbladder pain and you get these HIDA scans done. These are diagnostic procedures. Say so your gallbladder, this is all, a lot of it's being shunted through the gallbladder, although you do have one biliary duct that drips directly into the duodenum, but most of it's coming through the gallbladder, which is a storage facility for bile, which concentrates the bile to 10 times the strength, which makes it even mm. more hydrogen intense. And so it, it gets to the point that it turns into a solid. And when you have a solid chunk of bile, then it will block the biliary duct and you have gallstones and you have gallbladder disease. And it's just like, we can avoid all this quite easily. Hmm. But that's what hydrogen does. But your pH, your
0: acid in your bloodstream will remain 7.4. That never changed. Okay. So I wanted, I wanted like kind of bring it all together because basically we're making a distinction between your body pH is your blood pH. So there's blood pH and then there's bodily fluid pH. Blood pH was going to stay the same. Nothing's going to change that. Otherwise you will die. Bodily fluid pH now, if you become too acidic, that can start to cause some issues. And I think you mentioned some of them like Crohn's Um, They're gastrointestinal issues.
1: Yep, they're gastrointestinal issues. So first of all, you can have acid reflux. You can have geographic tongue. That's where people have these white and red, you know, it's, uh, you can have, Uh, burning in your throat. You can have lots of gas because I haven't even told you the gas is actually caused by the concentration of hormones in your biofluids, which trigger a fermentation process. You can have nauseousness. You can have gallbladder disease. You can have primary sclerosing cholangitis, which is a a disease of the biliary ducts leading from the liver down into the gallbladder and in that biliary tree that leads down. You can get pancreatitis. You can add diverticulitis, Crohn's disease, Ulcerative colitis, colitis, pancolitis, um, sigmoiditis. I mean, it's it's anything that causes inflammation. What's causing the inflammation? The acidity in these bile fluids are creating irritation Mm -hmm. because when you get this acidity dropping, it's very harmful and irritating to the tissues that it comes into contact with. Well we can easily change mm-hmm. it you just throw away the bile. If you throw away the bile. since you don't concentrate it and we we've solved the issue. Mm-hmm. So
0: that's yeah. l- so how do we how do we not absorb back that 95% of bile? So I am quickly pausing this interview with Karen Hurd to share one of my favorite products with you guys. It's something I use every day and it is the propolis Throat spray from Beekeepers Naturals. For any who don't know, propolis is actually a substance that bees create, and it is basically the antibacterial of the hive. So, propolis spray is incredibly powerful for boosting the immune system. It's antibacterial, antiviral, antifungal, and I take it daily to help keep my immune system strong. I actually wrote an entire blog post on the benefits of propolis. And after writing that, I was even more convinced at how powerful and effective this substance can be. And as I said, it's something that I take daily. I make sure I always take it with me when I travel, and I never get sick anymore when I travel, which is something that used to always happen, just because my body isn't used to being exposed to so many different kinds of bacteria at once. so. I cannot recommend this product enough. It's something I have gifted to so many friends and family. So I will leave a link to my blog post on Propolis in the show notes, as well as a link to the Beekeepers Naturals website, and you can use my code LA10 for a discount at checkout. So how do we we not absorb back that 95% of bile?
1: You have to eat something that will bind with the biomolecule. And this gets into chemistry. It, again, y- you have to find something that will capture this micelle. A micelle is just a, a fat molecule. That's what we call biomolecules, a micelle. You have to capture this biomolecule, and then it has to be a substance that not only can capture the biomolecule, but will, can't be absorbed. Well, what is the only thing that we can't absorb? Besides pennies, I already told you we can't absorb a penny, a coin, if we swallow it. Don't swallow a coin, you can choke on them. Um, But anyway, um, so what what do we not absorb as far as food is concerned? Consumption of foods. What do we not absorb? We don't absorb any fiber. Fiber. None. Fiber. Fiber, 100% of fiber, all fiber, always, no exception to the rule, 100% is excreted in your stool in the form of a bowel movement. That's it, 100%. So do all fibers bind with bile? No, only soluble fiber, only soluble fiber. And we have five, we have different types of soluble fiber. There's pectins, there's cellulosis, hemocellulosis, mucolage. There, it, and so we have to find one that really, really loves to just capture this, this bile molecule. And so that is, if you're looking at food, those are legumes, legumes or beans pinto beans, navy beans, garbanzo beans, lentils, black-eyed peas. Uh, There's valentine beans and there's yellow-eyed beans. And it's not soybeans. It's not peanuts. It's not green beans like the green beans we eat for vegetables. Those are not. They have more insoluble fiber. Insoluble fiber will not capture biomolecules, but soluble fiber will. So that soluble fiber—it's a very complex soluble fiber that is found in legumes. It's a very complex polysaccharide. It, it's like a, a really tight mesh net. And in chemistry, we have different types of bonds. We have hydrogen bonds. We have ionic bonds, polar covalent. You know, we got all kinds of little van der bonds. We got different bonds. It's not working on those. It's working on, hey, we just captured you in a net. This is a fishing net, and we got you captured. And the bile molecule cannot escape the net. It is caught. And that net is going into the toilet. All of it, 100%. So you excrete the bile. You're not absorbing 95% then. All of the bile captured in that soluble fiber net is excreted. And so So then we throw it away.
0: mm -hmm. So is there a base amount of fiber, soluble fiber that we need to be eating each day. And is it something like, you know, you, you added some soluble fiber to your smoothie and you're good for the day, or is it something like you kind of got to do it at each meal, make sure you're getting it so that all throughout the day you're keeping and continually capturing that bile.
1: You have to do it for a healthy person who has no known health problems. They should be eating beans, legumes, soluble fiber three times a day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It's just part of your life. You have beans for breakfast, beans for lunch, beans for dinner. You also have it with your food. It's a side dish. It's like you eat a vegetable along with your meal. Well, you're eating beans along with your meal three times a day. The average person of the average height needs about a half a cup. If you're a smaller person, a little less. If you're a big, grown man that weighs, you know, 240 pounds, football player, you need a little bit more. But we need it a minimum of three times a day. What if you were facing something that that is hormonally fed? like a breast cancer that is tested for hormonally positive, you know, it means that your hormones are what created this. Your hormones are cleared by your bile and they're recycled. And that's the reason you have the cancer. So we need to throw that away. And all my cancer clients, it's like, you will eat your beans a minimum of six times a day, if not eight. You have to, because we're recycling bile. I already told you 20 to 72 times a day for my really, like I have people that are have anxiety attacks, anxiety attacks caused by an overproduction of epinephrine and norepinephrine. And they're in this, or they're manic, you're on bipolar and you're in the manic phase and they're having, or they're having a, a panic attack. I don't know if anybody's ever had a panic attack that's listening, but I mean, it's, it's, you, it, you feel so out of control. What do you do? You eat beans every 20 minutes because we have the potential to recycle our bile every 20 minutes. If you ate just a tablespoon or two, two level tablespoons of beans every 20 minutes, you're going to clear 100% of your bile. It's all gone. Woo, 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 throw wow. it away. And you don't allow that epinephrine and norepinephrine to recycle back in the bloodstream. Or you don't allow the estrogen to go back into the bloodstream to continue to feed the cancer or whatever it is that we're trying to accomplish. So we can eat these. And and our, and it's very possible. I, and I have people that are eating. I'll have them eat every 20 minutes that they can. And I say, don't get obsessive compulsive about it. Just do the best you can, you know. It's just it's just so, oh, it's been twenty minutes, I'll eat a tablespoon of beans. And then and at, what do you do at your meals? Eat another half cup? No, you just eat another tablespoon of beans, you've been eating all day long. But that's for the real critical, you know, real bad cases as far as, you know, the healthy normal person three times a day. It's fine. And then you're gonna be getting rid of a significant amount of your fat soluble waste.
0: There's so there's so much here. Oh my gosh, my brain is exploding. That was so good. So I guess the question I have then is, so basically, we our stomach becomes more acidic. Our gastrointestinal tract becomes more acidic because that bile is not being excreted. And so really, that root cause of the acidity in the bodily fluids is just lack of soluble fiber to excrete it.
1: Exactly. And that's in the, the gut, the saliva and all the gut. Like, if you t- checked your... F- fecal matter for, you know, acidity, or you test your saliva. That's the only way we can test it unless we have, you know, more invasive, you know, gathering of, you know, your, your acids in your gut at that time. We also have urine, and that's a little bit of a different story. Um, our urine is getting rid of water-soluble waste. And so water-soluble waste are our water-soluble vitamins, like vitamin C is a water-soluble vitamin, B, all the Bs, B as in uh, bravo. And then a lot of minerals. All minerals are water-soluble. That's our calcium, it's sodium, it's chloride, it is magnesium, it's all our minerals. And so the kidney is getting rid of those things. If you're not getting enough water, or you're not, or you're doing things that are diuretics. Diuretics are things that we eat or drink that cause a loss of water, like coffee, herbal teas, celery juice, uh, different medications. Some people are taking diuretics because they have high blood pressure, and or their ankles are all swollen up, and you know, they have a heart condition. Whatever, there's several different medications that are, that cause diuresis. Or if you're, Kidneys aren't working. I mean, if you have kidney disease, then this is a problem because we're not able to, to filter things out. So what are we filtering out? And what is so important about this? It's because remember, we are maintaining a 7.4 body pH. Never changes. It's always 7.4. And so where are all these excess hydrogens going? We really, the buffering system is basically run by hydroxyl particles, DOH particle, which has the negative charge. What, what, where are all these hydrogen ions that make this acidity going? Into your kidney. And your mm-hmm. kidney's got to clear those. And so then you can test and say, well, I'm more on the alkaline or, the, you know, you test my urine. But at times we want more acidic urine we want, like, let's just look at the kidney stones. Let's go back to, let's say that you're on, you know, one of these diets that is high protein, high fat, no carbs or low carbs, and you end up with kidney stones, which is a common occurrence on especially these keto diets. So you have a kidney stone. Most kidney stones are calcium oxalate stones. Okay. Um, we, We know that calcium oxalate stones will dissolve rapidly. I mean, I'm talking right away if they're exposed to a weak acid. I mean, anybody can do this. Do the experiment at home. Take, if you've got a calcium tablet at home, you know, that, you know, because people take calcium supplements all the time, take that. Just drop it in a little glass of vinegar. Vinegar is acetic acid. It's a weak acid. It will immediately dissolve. Well, we can dissolve kidney stones the same way, but we have to make our urine a weak acid. So how in the world can we make the urine a weak acid? I hear this all the time. Well, drink lemon juice to dissolve kidney stones. It's like, no, you forgot the buffering system. Mm. If you put in an acid, it's going to be conjugated to 7.4. It's going to be altered. Conjugated means it's going to be changed to where it's the proper pH so that we can do our chemistry, chemical reactions. And so what you have to do, we have to put in the opposite in the conjugation process when we're buffering something and we're turning it into a, a neutral ph we have to or you we have to turn it into the opposite so mm-hmm. if you have if you're you want a weak acid you have to consume a strong base to get a weak acid urine because of the conjugation process in this buffering system if you want to have an alkaline urine for some reason, and you you don't necessarily need, there's not a reason for an alkaline urine, you do want it on a little bit on the acidic side. But if you have an alkaline urine and you want to stay alkaline and you just want it slightly alkaline, you got to eat a strong acid. Well, what are strong acids? Well, that would be garlic. And I already told you what a strong base was. That's baking soda. So, I mean, so you can change the pH of your urine by eating the different foods. So how do you dissolve a kidney stone with a weak acid? Okay, so how do we dissolve them? We eat baking soda. You stir a teaspoon of baking soda in about four ounces of water and chug it and do that four times a day. I have seen kidney stones dissolve in as few as a few hours and certainly overnight, depending on the location, if they're high up in the pelvis of the kidney. See, the urine has to be this weak acid to wash over it and dissolve it. It's high up in the pelvis and the urine doesn't wash over it as easily. And so it might take longer to dissolve. I see kidney stones dissolve all the time. I just had a guy the other day, he said, he yeah, was having a kidney stone attack and I could feel there. They're in the back. You always feel it in the back. Very painful. And he said, I remembered what you said about kidney stones. And he said, by the time I got to the ER, all my pain was gone. And they said, there, look, there's nothing to pass. There's just this little dust. You already dissolved it. <laughs> he did that in wow. 20 minutes by just drinking his baking soda water. I mean, and we go through wow. these lipotripties. We go through these, these, very invasive procedures of going up into the ureter. That's the place where the urine comes down and grabbing the kidney stone and putting stents in and all that. We can dissolve these. These are for calcium oxalate stones. There are a few other stones like cysteine stones. They're made out of protein. That's a little different, but the vast, vast, vast majority of kidney stones are calcium oxalate. They dissolve so simply with weak acids. So you eat a strong base. So simple. It always works. Mm. This is just simple chemistry. It's just acid-based
0: chemistry. Yeah. And so, you know, there's, I know it's kind of a big thing right now, doing an alkaline diet. And so I think my, from this conversation, I would say, you don't need to eat an alkaline diet. You just need to eat more soluble fiber.
1: Yes, exactly. You don't need the alkaline diet. I mean, Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: I'm laughing because you eat an alkaline diet, you don't even realize, but it's going to be turned into a 7.4 pH. I don't care how much alkalinity you do. So you change, you say, I'm going to change the acidity in your gut. Well, it doesn't stop the recycling of the bile. We still recycle the bile. I, I hear people say, well, I'm going to take milk thistle. Because milk thistle causes your liver to release more bile. I'm going to, you know, drink lemon juice and oil and cause a large release of bile. Well, those things do cause a large release of bile. But all that bile will recycle at 95%. It doesn't cause it to be excreted. We have to excrete yeah, and it. And then you're compounding the issue.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So it's interesting because all of these, you know, all of these detox things, just like you said, we're going to stimulate the kidney to do this or stimulate the liver to do that. It's all just (laughs) a waste and making the issue worse and worse and worse if we're never providing something for that bile to bind to. And it's also interesting that you're saying, you know, it doesn't matter if you eat a certain diet to, change the acidity in your stomach, if you're still not excreting that bile, you're going to have a, you know, more acid stomach because that bile is what's really the root cause of that acidity, high acidity. Yes. Yes. Hmm. Okay. Wow. (laughs) It's so funny because it, it's just so simple. It is so simple. We, we, I'm just
1: astounded at the number of supplements that people take to try to get to whatever end. And and my heart hurts so much for these people because they're desperate. They're trying to find some solution to their problem. And they don't know how simple it is to correct these things. But let's say we take in a bunch of supplements and a lot of them are going to be water-soluble who has to clear all that stuff out of the bloodstream, mm-hmm. the liver, the liver and the kidneys. If it's fat soluble, it'll be the liver. If it's water soluble, it'll be the kidneys. Mm-hmm. It's just like, do you understand the load that you're putting already on an organ that you, you have some health problem? Cause that's why you're pursuing all these different, you know, swallow this and swallow that. You already got a load on those organs and they're working hard and fast. And then you put even more of a load on them. It's just like, can we just, do what we know. I mean, this is just simple physiology of the human body, biology. We're looking at biochemistry here. It's all it is. And this is not questionable, whether there's, you know, a buffering system that the kidney runs and the acid-base chemistry. This is basic. This is, you learn this in your first year of general chemistry. If you go to college, you're going to learn about acid-base balance in your second semester. Now you won't learn about the buffering system in the human body till you get to your biochem, which is several semesters of chemistry away. But it's still, we we know these things. This is not, mm-hmm. you know, unknown, but it is unknown to our general public because we're not, because telling a person to eat food is doesn't make a whole lot of money. I mean, we make money on supplements. The nutraceutical mm-hmm. industry is a huge industry. Pharmaceutical, of course, outstrips it, but the nutraceutical industry is a huge industry. So... It's not mm-hmm. a popular answer yeah. to say, just eat food, <laughs> give the farmer the money, like he grew the food. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. So then I, I have to ask this after you've just kind of given your spiel on supplements, but I have to ask, cause I know so many people are going to ask this. What if they find some kind of bean based soluble fiber powder? Will that do the same thing? Or is there just something that's being missed there? Nope.
1: and there actually is a soluble fiber. I told you there's different types of soluble fiber, and a lot of people ask me about acacia powder, or they'll ask me about wheat dextrin. These are different forms of soluble fiber. The different forms of soluble fiber have a different capacity to capture the micelle, and it's only those those soluble fibers, the only one that is out there that you could use as a supplement is psyllium. That's the only one. Your acacia powder, your wheat dextrin, your inulin, you know, just run through them all. They will not touch. This with a 10-foot pole. You could use psyllium. So psyllium comes from the plantago plant. It's the seed to the plantago plant it is rich in the soluble fiber in that polysaccharide that can actually capture the biomolecule. So for like my people, like I deal with people who have stage five kidney disease. This is bad. Stage five kidney disease means you are on dialysis for your life. I mean, you have to go in on a regular basis and your blood is filtered by a machine because your kidneys can't filter anymore. Well, we can't put a lot of these wonderful nutrients that come in beans because beans are high in calcium. Beans are also high in magnesium and they're, they're loaded with Folic acid. They are the richest source of folic acid, which is a soluble B vitamin. They're so loaded with nutrition. But if your kidneys aren't working, then you just put a load on your system because your kidneys can't filter any of these additional things out. So then I'll say to that person, we will use psyllium instead. We will instead of eating your beans because of stress. Anything puts a stress on a stage, a kidney disease stage five. But then what we'll do is that we will use psyllium instead. And it's just, you, it's a powder uh, and you mix it into water. You can make it into a thin gruel um, and then you can eat it, but you have to make sure you get enough water with it because water, it's, it just sucks up water too.
0: Mm-hmm. So- wow. Karen, thank you so much. <laughs> Was there anything else, any other references, books, um, websites you could think to add? Um, the, the problem is,
1: it's all, it's in the chemistry text. It's in all chemistry texts. It's in all biochemistry texts. That's where we really have to look. I mean, it's sort of like saying, what, what should I look at, you know, two plus two, where should I learn that two plus two is really four? Well, it's just your basic chemistry knowledge. So all I've, that's all I've taught you today and just applying it and just bringing it to our attention. So, I mean, you can certainly, I cover this in a segment of, I have a living, I have published e-courses. There, there are courses you can do online and on different health subjects. And in my living well, which is just general good health of, you know, how to eat to live well and live a long, healthy life, I cover this acid-base balance. Um, And so, but I also cover a whole, whole lot more in that course. But it, it's just...
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, that sounds wonderful. And and to your point, the the general conversation on this topic doesn't take it down to that root level. So you're not even getting that baseline information anyways.
1: No. No, you One of my goals in life is to take everything back to the primary information on every subject to do with health. Let's just go back to primary basic information. Let's just look at basically it's molecular biology is what I've taught you today. And so when you understand how chemical reactions happen and how pH impacts that, and then, then it's just, it's just all makes sense. And then, you know, Oh, I need to be eating beans three times a day, about a half a cup, you know, depending on my size. Or if I'm a kid, you obviously eat a little bit less, you know, cause you're not as tall yet. So it, are simple. We have made such huge mountains out of molehills because we have just bypassed the basic foundation of biochemistry.
0: So now I know there's a there's a lot of debate, um, and I'm going to reference. Dr. Stephen Gundry, who I'm sure you've heard of, and he yeah. talks so much about, you know, you have to cook the beans a certain way. What is your take on that? How should we be cooking our beans?
1: Um, it's You need to eat cooked beans. I mean, a lot of people say, I'm just eating raw chickpea pop flour. It depends on how the flour is made, but most flour is just you take the dry bean and you just grind it into a powder. Well, you really need to cook it because, see, soluble fiber comes from the breaking down of insoluble fiber. And the chickpea is mostly soluble fiber. But the more you cook it, the more you give it more soluble fiber viability. Also, we have something called um, phytates and oxalates that are typically found in anything that is grown from the ground. And then that all dissipates, too. Actually, they're very important for immune system function, but you don't need gobs of them. So we should always cook our bean, you know. And so... I'm mm. in favor of cooking beans. Do you use a pressure cooker? Do I use a pressure cooker? Yeah, we have an Insti pot, You know, I'm not trying to promote a brand, but it's a it's a pressure cooker type of thing, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or I just buy them in a can. Yeah. Or I oh, okay. just buy them in a can. You can buy them in a can too, you know, that's no problem too. I we buy I use canned beans too. So mm-hmm. They're not bad for you or anything like that. And so we can't, I can get into the BHT. That's a bisphenol A and all that, but that's, it's all cleared out. It's so easy to clear those
0: things. So. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh my gosh. Well, Karen, thank you so much. Really. I, I just geek out anytime we have a conversation because you are just such a wealth of knowledge. Really. I feel so truly honored to be able to talk with you. Oh, I'm very pleased to talk with you. Thank you for having me here. Yes, absolutely. Well, I'm. I'm I'm sure we'll have you on again because there is just, it seems like an inexhaustive list of topics that we can discuss on. So until next time, Karen, thank you so much. Sounds great. All right. Thank you. Woo. Okay. Well, I hope you guys loved that interview with Karen. I, like I said, it was completely geeking out. I've already re-listened to it a couple times myself and am taking notes because, like I said, she is such a wealth of knowledge. I could pick her brain all day long on any topic, truly. But for this week's magnetic moment, I want to challenge all of you to try to incorporate beans into each of your meals. And as she said, it doesn't have to be... The main dish you could literally just have a bowl of black beans that you have with whatever the meal is that you're having Um, I think it would be really fun to kind of see what happens I'm actually going to be doing it for a week since I'm still spending this week in isolation I'm actually doing what she suggested and taking two tablespoons of beans every 20 minutes And just seeing what's going to happen over the course of a week. What I can say right off the bat is that I have become very regular. And I was already pretty regular as it was. Um, So I will have to update you guys next week on anything else that I've noticed. But I want to challenge you all to try to add more beans to your diet. So if you do, try it for a week let me know how you feel. Or even at the start of it, be like, you know, just send me a message on Instagram and be like, hey, Leanne, I want to try this. Um, I'm going to check in with you throughout the week to see how I'm doing, whatever it is. Again, links to my Instagram and my website are always in the show notes, so you can contact me directly. I love to hear the changes you guys are making and the po- these positive shifts, how they're making you feel. So, definitely reach out and with that everyone have a wonderful weekend and we will get back together next week